maybe I have to turn myself on. That's good. Little things you forget. Thank you, Mrs. Saylor. It's good to be here today uh, to be with you again. Those of you who are joining us online, pleasure to have you with us as well. Guess what holiday we will celebrate in exactly five months? Ah, some of you remember to notice the day. That's right. Hard to believe in all this amazing summer weather. But Lord willing, in five months, we'll be singing Christmas carols, opening presents, stuffing ourselves with turkey dinner, or whatever your family tradition is. Lord willing, we might even be able to have family members over for Christmas dinner again and enjoy each other. That'll be nice. Now, I don't just mention Christmas today, so we have something else to look forward to. Because one of the best places to find many details of the Christmas story is in the first two chapters of Matthew, as well as in the first two chapters of Luke. For those of you who are new to the Bible, or church, or things like that, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. As Matthew sets out to introduce the Christmas story, and in fact the rest of the book that he's written about the life of Jesus, we find that he begins with a genealogy, or a family tree, tracing Jesus' family line all the way back, showing that he's a real Jewish man. He writes his gospel to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one for the nation of Israel, the one referred to in the first half of your Bible. Actually, it's more than half. And so if you're a visitor today or watching online, you need to know that though I am a guest speaker, I've actually been privileged to be included in this series that Pastor Allen is leading the church through on the 12 disciples of Jesus, or those who are sometimes called apostles. Now, apostles is simply a word meaning sent ones, sent out ones. Jesus had many followers or disciples that traveled around with him, and yet there seems to be a group of 12 who were sort of close disciples. And on various occasions throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the first four books in the New Testament, he actually refers to them as the 12. So today it's my privilege to look at the one of those 12 named Matthew or Levi. Well, the first thing we know about Levi Matthew is that he's a good Jewish boy. He wrote the book of Matthew. All right. He grew up in a Jewish home. He had a good Jewish name, Levi. Levi was actually one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the ones who were the priests. We know from Mark chapter 2, verse 14, his father had a Greek name, Alphaeus which is likely why we have two names for Matthew, Levi. Matthew would have been his Greek name, Levi, his Jewish name. Now, if you've ever encountered some Asian students here, whether at international students or otherwise, you'll know that they often take on an English name. Uh, Haley, Phoebe, Maggie, or some of the international students we've known. All right, they still have their legal Chinese or Japanese or Korean name, 
But they take an English name, probably so we don't mess up their Asian names badly. All right? And I'm grateful for that. But they don't lose their original name, their original passport. They just go by two names. It's not uncommon even today, and it wasn't uncommon in the time of Jesus. So Levi Matthew likely learned the Hebrew scriptures early on and wanted to follow the ways of God. But as a young man, it seems he might have turned his back on what his parents had taught him. You see, the account he writes, even though he was well acquainted with Israel's history, even though he later writes an account of Jesus' life, as we first encounter him, it's very clear that he is not following Jesus or anything religious. You see, Levi Matthew was a tax collector. Now, I don't know about you, when I think of the Canadian Revenue Agency, for those of you who are Americans, the IRS, I don't actually know anyone that works for them, so I don't have a great hatred on for them. I'm not exactly thrilled when I have to pay my taxes. I wouldn't say I think with loving affection about CRA or always speak that way about them. But I don't really not like them or displease them, the people who work in those offices. But in the time of Jesus, being a tax collector was arguably one of the most despised professions possible. Matthew's job was to collect taxes from his fellow Jewish people and then hand them over to the Roman Empire, the enemy. Israel's hope in those days was that the Messiah would come and he would overthrow the Romans and they'd get back their independence. And yet Matthew, Levi, this good Jewish boy, now collects taxes for the enemy. And in addition to being a traitor, tax collectors also had a well-known reputation for, well, taking some extra money to pad their coffers. After they collected the required amount for the Romans, they'd sort of collect a handling fee. So needless to say, it wasn't exactly uncommon for tax collectors to strong-arm people, to have a couple of thugs traveling around with them in case someone wasn't willing to pay the tax or the extra handling fee. Being a tax collector was not a joyful job, though it was lucrative. When we find Jesus' first encounter with Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, or Luke chapter 5, verses 29 to 32. Uh, reading from Matthew 9, 9, as Jesus went on from there, from a miracle he done healing a paralytic, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Seemingly out of the blue, Jesus invites Matthew to follow him. And as quickly as the invitation comes, Matthew's equally fast to accept. We don't know how much time passes, but sometime fairly soon afterwards, Matthew not only accepts Jesus and follows, but he hosts Jesus at his home for a feast or a banquet. Uh, the word that's used for banquet there 
The other time uses, Luke uses that word in his gospel, it's translated feast, is it the parable of the wedding reception? If you're given a party, you invite all your friends. If you're hosting a wedding reception, you invite your family and friends to celebrate the event. And Matthew does just that in Luke chapter 5. Read in verses 29 to 32. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Of course, when Matthew holds this banquet, if he's a tax collector, most of his friends are, well, they're not the religious crowd. They're other tax collectors. Others of those folks, to put it politely, they're despised. The outcasts, the people nobody actually wants to associate with. And which is precisely the Pharisees' objection. If you don't know much about the Pharisees, they're religious rulers. They want to make sure everything is good and right and in keeping with the Torah, the Old Testament. And so they actually have some extra rules to keep things clean and good and right and holy. And the Pharisees are deeply annoyed and offended by Matthew. Not only because he's a tax collector, but now this Jesus, if he's a true rabbi, if he's so righteous, why does he consort with this riffraff? Why does he go to a banquet, a reception, for these down and outs, these lowlifes, these cheats? Well, Jesus answers their question in Luke 5, verse 32. Verse 31, Jesus says, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And here we find the most important lesson that we're going to see in Matthew's life. And that is this, Jesus welcomes and loves the outcast. The people that nobody else wants to be friends with. If you get nothing else out of that today, remember, Jesus loves the outcasts, those who nobody else wants to be friends with. Well, as Matthew follows Jesus in the days and the months and the years to come, I don't think he ever forgets where he came from. See, the record of history that he wrote the Gospel of Matthew never forgot his Jewish training. But even more remarkably, I don't think he ever forgets his status with Christ as an outcast before Christ, as an outcast, a nobody, part of the excluded crowd. He continues to realize as he follows Jesus the love and the grace that Jesus offered him in calling Levi Matthew to be his follower, calling him when everyone else viewed him as a traitor and a thief. He experienced the Messiah's look the Messiah's actions, the Messiah's words of grace, and he never forgot it. Well, there's two other places we hear of specific tax collectors in the four records of Jesus' life. We have a parable about a tax collector in Luke 18, verses 10 to 14. And we have the story of my personal favorite, Zacchaeus, in Luke chapter 19. Yes, it's okay to laugh at the Zacchaeus short guy joke. 
Both of these individuals also recognize their desperate need for forgiveness from their sin, and they express thanks for God's grace. In other places in the New Testament, tax collectors and others are mentioned, and they're consistently attracted to Jesus because he speaks and acts with grace. He welcomes them as outsiders and includes them, helps them feel they belong when nobody else cares about them and wants to associate with them. I think there's one more indication that Matthew never really forgot his background of sin, and he never really was too far from his mind. Who was the accountant? The one who kept track of the money for Jesus' disciples. Judas, that's right. Not Matthew, but Judas Iscariot, the one who ends up betraying Jesus. Now I can imagine... If the discussion ever did come up as the disciples were walking along, say Peter, James, and John, they're kind of in their group, and the next group's here. I don't know what they really thought of Matthew initially. What if Jesus, as we're walking, says, you know, guys, I hear Matthew is pretty good at keeping track of finances in his previous work experience. The disciples look at one another like, you've got to be kidding of course, they're not going to say anything, but they're all thinking, yeah, Matthew can keep track of money. But is the guy who collected taxes from the Romans, from us as Jews, to hand over to the Romans, is that really the guy we want to entrust to our money? I don't think so, Jesus. But before anyone has to say something in that awkward moment, I wonder if Matthew speaks up and says, that's okay. I'm glad for someone else to keep track of the money. I don't want to bring any unnecessary suspicion on us. Now that's imagination, conjecture. But I think there's a real lesson for us to learn from Matthew. Now I wish I could find a short, catchy phrase that would summarize it for you, but I can't. But the principle is this. God doesn't waste your past knowledge and experiences. Yet, often he calls you to set aside those experiences, those past knowledge, and do something new in his kingdom to follow him. You see, Matthew didn't lose all his knowledge that he gained as a Hebrew boy. Learning the scriptures, probably having a bar mitzvah. It was deep in his mind and probably even in his heart at some level. I mean, again, look at the, how quickly he responded when Jesus called him. And then years later, all that knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures helps him to present the gospel to Matthew in a way that shows Jesus as the promised Messiah for anyone, especially for the Jews. He used that to follow God. God used his background to help him impact the kingdom. It's said that Matthew quotes 99 Old Testament references in his gospel. More than Mark and Luke and John together. All that knowledge he had, God used it. Yet at the same time, when Jesus called him to follow, Matthew set aside his tax business, his knowledge of finances, because he was called to do something very different. Follow Jesus and share the good news. 
that the one who came to heal the sick, to bind up the broken, to set the captives free, the promised Messiah, he was here. His life and career took on a new path, mostly unrelated to his previous work and to his previous friends. And he gave that up willingly to follow the master. There might be some of you here today as parents or even grandparents. You sought to raise your children in the phrase of the fear and admonition of the Lord. But you're sitting here this morning. You have a child or maybe more than one who frankly don't really care anything about spiritual things. It's not just that they don't go to church regularly, if ever. You can barely bring up any spiritually related topic. And they change it topic right away. They don't want to talk any about that religious stuff. Well, please know I sort of feel your pain. Now, obviously not as a parent, but as a sibling, I've got brothers and sisters too who are walking very opposite to the ways of Jesus. Very opposite to what our moms and dads tried to tell them, teach them. And I've seen my parents crying in and through it. And again, I don't know how it all works. I don't know the answer. I don't know how it works out, when he'll work it out. But I can imagine Levi's parents probably thought all their training, all their investment, had gone out the window as Matthew started his career. But I suspect, like you, they kept praying for him, kept in touch with him, found out how the family's doing, and just kept loving him and praying that God would get a hold of his life and bring him back to the Lord. And then, Matthew met Jesus. Let me encourage you to keep praying, keep pressing into Jesus, keep loving your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter, and trust Jesus to work in his time and in his way. And don't be ashamed or embarrassed to tell your friends here at Troshu Baptist Church or wherever they might be to keep praying too. Because there's more people than you think facing this kind of challenge and heartache. Maybe you're one of those people who said, yeah, I know it all, my parents have taught it all, and I don't believe. And I don't need that, thanks. Well, there might be things about the church that you don't like. There might even be some Christians who've said some pretty nasty things about you. I would challenge you to go like Matthew to Jesus. You might have felt excluded or an outsider, outcast, you don't belong. But come to Jesus. And he, because that's what he wants to do, is invite you and welcome the outsider to follow him. Not rules, regulations, not things lots of us Christian-looking people think are important, but to follow Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you sense him calling you. Maybe, like Matthew, you've only known one career. And yet, you get this sense that Jesus is opening something else. Different from what you've ever done. Actually, what you think you could do. 
Maybe it's your kids are leaving the nest. You're ready for a second career. Or maybe you're going to retire early and you're looking for something to do in your retirement. Take that step of faith. Jesus won't fail you. Sometimes a guy who sits behind a desk processing taxes all day becomes the person who invites his friends to hear and to follow Jesus. Sometimes that person, the guy nobody really wants to hang around with, starts visiting people, sharing about their changed life. And people come to know Jesus. You see, history and church tradition tells us that after Jesus went to heaven, the disciples dispersed. Matthew continued to minister largely to Jews, both in Israel and then abroad for many years after that. After Jesus had transformed his life, the man who was a traitor to the Jews went back to these same people who despised him and shared how his life had been transformed by Jesus, by the Messiah. And then he wrote an account of Jesus' life for future generations, including you and me, so we could learn about and follow Jesus. The person no one except his fellow tax collectors and other outcasts wanted to associate with now has associates all over the world for the last 2,000 years. Now, there's no reliable record of how Matthew was put to death. Earliest tradition says he was burned at the stake for his faith. But he believed it so strongly that he was willing to die for his faith and be martyred. Now, one final application from Matthew's life as we close this morning. There's a really obvious question for us. Who is the outcast Jesus is sending you to welcome and include? Who are the people most atrocious says, stay away from them, they're trouble? Or perhaps more challenging, who are the people that we as Christians in Alberta or Canada despise? Those so-and-so people who push their agenda. I can't stand them. Have you made any effort to show the kindness of Christ to one of those down-and-outs, to those socially unacceptable individuals? Again, the pictures on the screen aren't meant to represent groups that are outcast to Jesus, but I'm afraid they're groups that we as Christians often treat and speak about fairly negatively. I know I personally was really challenged and convicted and blessed by last Sunday's message from Pastor Craig? Craig. About our witness to our indigenous Canadians. And I have an adopted sister, two adopted sisters, who are indigenous. Theoretically, I should be more sensitive than many. And I was convicted that that wasn't my attitude. How do we treat those who are outsiders different? Have you made any effort to show the kindness of Christ to one of these down and outs? One of those we deem, for some reason, as not acceptable. Because that's what Jesus would do. He would invite them for coffee. Ask their family over for a backyard barbecue. He'd invite them to go on a fishing trip with them. Some friends. He would do something tangible to show that he values them. 
He loves them, and he finds them worthwhile. Because that person is a person made in the image of God, and therefore of infinite value and worth to him. Now, you might not get to share Jesus with them for spiritual laws, or you might even not get to have a real spiritual conversation with them. But Jesus says, when you give a cup of cold water to show Jesus' love in his name, it's valuable to him. Let's go back to where we started this morning. What if in five months, as we're enjoying those Christmas celebrations here at Troshu Baptist Church, or around your table as a family, what if there were some new people joining you? Some individuals who we might look at today and say, oh, them. We might think of as outcasts or outsiders. But since the people of this church went out of their way to reach out, to share Christ's kindness to these people, their lives were transformed by Jesus too. I believe that's what Matthew encourages us and challenges us towards today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, as we sang this morning, all of us were outsiders at one point. None of us deserves to be included in your family. And yet by your grace and your mercy, you chose us to come as a king to be citizens of your kingdom. Oh Lord, as we see Matthew's life and see how you touched him and used him to touch others, we ask that we might follow your example, Jesus. And be willing to associate with those who probably have some really rough edges, some really not Christian habits and likes, but they need Jesus. And we are called to be your apostles, to be your sent out ones, to show and share the love of Jesus to everyone. And so we pray you would give us your grace and give us your wisdom to show kindness to everyone, and especially those in our community who maybe don't have friends, or are outside, or excluded, that we would help them to belong, first of all to you, and then to the community of faith here. We thank you that you do the transforming, and ask that you would transform us as we share your love with others. We ask this for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen. Thank you once again for the privilege of being with you this morning. I trust you'll be able to visit and enjoy for a few minutes here. And then the Lord will lead you across the path of people who need to see and hear the love of Jesus this week. God bless. You're dismissed.